people look at at developing that next leader level of leadership as an expense. So, you know, like now, I mean, we're, we're in a difficult economic time. So what do you do? You cut expenses. So what message does that send? It sends the message that developing you as a leader isn't all that important. But wait, there is more. Yes, there is more because you're going to hear me today as I drill down in asking these tough questions as far as when, where, how, All of this is going to be unpacked today as you listen to your delightful host, the great interviewer himself, the one who is able to drill deep and ask the right questions. Because not everybody can do this. Only your trained and extremely talented and delightful podcast host like myself can do. And that's why you're going to stay tuned because... You're going to get what it is you come from. Yes, my friend. Yes, my friend. My friend, my friend, my friend. We get a street Oh, yeah. So we are going to dig into that and you're going to hear more of that. So stay tuned. Make sure that you're strapped in as we get ready for blast off. Here we go. Welcome to the Kingsley Grant Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you become the leader everyone loves and wants to follow. Kingsley believes his leadership paradigm, emotelligence, the art of succeeding where others failed, is the key to achieving this status. On this show, Kingsley guides you through the uncharted waters of emotional intelligence and leadership essentials with the guarantee that upon exit, you will become more skilled in relationship management, decision-making, and job performance. Now here's your host, your coach, and your Sherpa, Kingsley Grant. Here we go, here we go, here we go. This is your boy, Kingsley Grant, sitting behind the Jamaican microphone, bringing you yet another show. And it is from the show that's been voted number three on the top 15 podcast on emotional intelligence by Spot, And so I am excited that you are listening to one of the top shows right now. And I'm in the command center of the Emotelligent Leadership Institute, where I'm going to dig into the vault and get today's show so that what you've come for, you will have. So let me reach in right here and get today's show. There it is. I got it. I got it. I put it down right here. And now we can dive into today's show. And on today's show, we are going to be looking at a topic that for some reason, in some settings, maybe not yours, but in some workplace settings, in some leadership structure, there seems to be, when it comes to leadership development, some kind of a, let's put it this way, there are some approaches that are questionable. You wonder, or you, you ask yourself the question, is it any wonder people tend to not want to stick around? Is it any wonder that there are 
toxic relationships between leadership and their people. Is it any wonder that some leaders tend to max out? They, they've kind of, you know, plateau and figure they have arrived. They don't need anything more and, and so on. However, as the leader and having other, others under you, are you responsible for helping to develop your people, especially your leadership, how do you view that? Do you see it as an expense? Do you see it as, oh, I don't have time for that? Or do you get the feeling that you're in your organization, your company, that somehow the upper echelons seem to have that mindset? You know, we just can't spend all that money on leadership development. <laughs> because why? It's seen as an expense. Really? Expense in pouring into people and developing them? Well, in this episode today, you're going to hear from my guest, who is going to talk about this whole idea of leadership development as an investment and why every company should see it that way. I'll leave the rest to him. In a few moments, you'll hear from him. Let me say, if this is your first time with us, thank you for joining us on the Kings of Grand Show. I do appreciate it, and I hope this will be your first of many visits. If this is your second, third, fourth, fifth time, you know how it is. You know the drill. Hey, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I do appreciate you taking the time to be here. If you have not yet subscribed to the show and possibly left a review and rating, would you do that today? Go to the platform that you're consuming this this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, and leave a rating and a review there. And also subscribe to the show so you will know exactly the time is whenever a show is released, you won't miss an episode. I'll say thank you for that. And lastly, this show is being brought to you by Kingspire Communication, where we help leaders become better at job performance, relationship management, and decision-making so that they can have higher engagement, higher productivity, and higher retention within their organization. If that is something that interests you and you would like for us to come and do some training, keynote speeches, or coaching, then please head over to kingsleygrant.com, K-I-N-G-S-L-E-Y-G-R-A-N-T.com, and connect with us so we can see if we could work together and make it happen. But my friend, without further ado, would you help me by putting your hands together to welcome to the show our guest, Mr. Buddy Hobart. Thank you for joining me on the Kings of Grand Show, where emotional intelligence and leadership skills intersect. This show is designed for leaders who want to know what works and what doesn't work in the 21st century. We have a special guest on the show today. His name is Buddy Hobart. Let me tell you a few things about Buddy and we'll fill in the rest as we go. Buddy is a global pioneer in generational leadership, having written his first book, 
about millennials and the evolution of leadership in 2008. Subsequently, both books have sold out, and his latest book, The Leadership Decade, will be available in August 2020. Buddy is a president and founder of Solutions 21, a leadership development firm, and has worked with organizations across the country and around the world. Solutions 21 has worked with organizations from startups to Fortune 500s as they make the courageous decision to invest in future leadership. Buddy and his firm have worked with hundreds of organizations around the world and even teaches a class at the U.S. Army War College on the same information we will discuss today. Buddy, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great. I am doing great. Thanks for having me. Sure. It's my pleasure. I look forward to this. So, buddy, the question I ask all my guests is, where in the world are you today? I'm actually in our office in Pittsburgh. We have four offices, so Phoenix, Kansas City, Nashville, and Pittsburgh, and I'm in Pittsburgh at the moment. Awesome. So now that you're in Pittsburgh, buddy, say someone should uh, visit Pittsburgh in that in your region of the world, and what would you suggest is a must-see or must-do and a must-taste for that person? Well, that's a great question. So, you know, we're kind of known as the smoky city, but we haven't been the smoky city quite literally for 50 <laughs> years. Um, and so the Condé Nast Travel Magazine a couple years ago had the top 10 views in America. So number one was the Grand Canyon. Obviously, that's in Arizona. Number two was Sedona, mm. which is in Arizona. And number three was the city of Pittsburgh from Mount Washington at night. So if there's a must-do when you come to Pittsburgh, get on the incline, go up to Mount Washington, especially in the evening, and see where the three rivers come together. It is a breathtaking view. Wow. That sounds like I want to travel right now. Come on, COVID, get over and get done with so I can travel to Pittsburgh so I, too, can see this. So thank you for letting us know that. What's a a must-taste? What would you suggest that they have to also taste while they're there? What's a must taste? Okay, so, you know, Pittsburgh's known, again, for the steel city. And so Andrew Carnegie built his uh, mill in a little town called Homestead, happens to be the town I'm from. Mm. So blue collar guy. And I would say if you came to Pittsburgh, you should venture back to that historical place and go to this place called Duke's Upper Deck Cafe, um, it's a good uh, mill town pub, if you will. Uh, great kind of throwback sandwiches, uh, great kind of Pittsburgh old school uh, mill town cuisine. So if you had to do one thing, it would be to come to Pittsburgh, then go to Homestead and go to Duke's Upper Deck. Wow, that sounds very, very. I mean, you described this so well, buddy. It's almost like you could be a PR or a spokesperson for that cafe. They better pay you for this, what you just did just now. Well, he doesn't know it yet, but, but yeah, he'll, <laughs> he'll get a copy of it. Okay, great. So, um, you know, buddy, the, the, the question we open up the show in about leadership is when you hear the word leader or leadership, what comes to your mind? Probably passion and commitment. You know, I think I think that uh, being a leader is, you know, I think, you know, the, the old adage of, of the leaders made or born. Uh, and I think you can learn to be a leader. And I think it takes some passion. I think it takes some commitment. It takes some some courage for 
for signing up for a lifetime of continuous improvement, of never arriving. Mm. You know, I like that uh, framing because I think that's really very important for leaders to understand that you just don't become a leader and it's over. You, uh, that phrase, I like it, never arriving. It's you always never arrive. Bec- yeah, you know, it's always becoming. I remember in, in, in um, school, one of my professors would say that we're always in the state of becoming and we should always remember that because it's an evolutionary process and you never, you should never be, be okay with uh, on your, be on your morals and say, I mean, and you, and you know, sit back and say, okay, I'm okay, I'm fine now because that never worked, especially in the era of leadership. So, um, Buddy, it seems like you have had experiences, either seen someone or been influenced by someone who you've kind of seen this kind of leadership in. So who would you give the award for being the most instrumental person as a leader in your life and why? That is probably the easiest question I can ask. While there have been many, while there have been many, probably my best example and maybe even my hero in life was my actually my high school basketball coach his name was Fran Mannion uh, nicknamed McGee um, and you know the the greatest generation kind of guy uh, World War II decorated veteran which as you know never talked about kind of thing um, quit his job he was a successful executive quit his job to come back to his hometown and coach the high school basketball team literally walking away from if I did the math, probably hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. and uh, came back to influence young people. And he's probably more than anybody in life. The reason why I'm here on the radio with you today. Mm. Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting to see how a person can impact a per- another person's life in the way that they do, especially here you are now and you are talking about leadership and helping other leaders becoming better at what they do. And something that you really are very big on, um, buddy, is how 20th century, I mean, how some leaders still think they can use yesterday's tactics and leadership skills to influence or make a difference in our 21st century workforce. Why do you find and, and what do you think some leaders are holding on to that no longer works and you see more and more of that happening? And what is the consequence of them doing that? Well, you know, one of the first things we talk about in, in the upcoming book, uh, so this is kind of a culmination. This is not a, a book about millennials or Gen Z or anything. It's, it's purely leadership because at this point, it's a two-way street. So the first two books I wrote, we were trying to get our arms around these upcoming generations. But the reality is they're here now, and the, mm. the oldest millennial is going to turn 40. So we're not talking about <laughs> these kids anymore. Now we're talking about this being an absolute two-way street with five generations of breadwinners in the workforce, we need to understand one another. And and I think to answer your question directly is that I don't think in the 20th century businesses really got this concept of replicating and reproducing leaders. They got it on everything else. They got it on you know, replicating best practices or replicating sales techniques or replicating manufacturing techniques or, or you know, that, that continuous improvement part there. But, but not really on this investment in replicating leaders. So businesses like any uh, anything, right, businesses, um, uh, any species gets to exist because they uh, reproduce and replicate themselves. They don't they don't exist and, and live because they live forever, they, they exist from generation to generation because they reproduce and replicate. And businesses need to reproduce and replicate leadership in the same way 
they have made these decisions to reproduce and replicate other best practices. You know, what I, I find, and I'm not sure if you experience it sometimes, but it, that some leaders, they become the, the cog in the wheel themselves. So they become the, the person that really holds things up because some leaders, because of um, insecurity or, or feel intimidated or threatened, may not want to do this because they are are worried that the competition and that person may show them up and become a better leader than they are. So I'm hearing in the air of mentorship and and showing that person how to become a better leader or how to become a leader, period. They may feel like, you know, if I did that, then what may happen to me? Do you have, do you encounter that kind of thinking? And if you haven't, but it's out there, I know it's out there. What would you say to the person who might be kind of um, having that inner turmoil about developing other leaders? Well, I, I think it's kind of how we started the conversation about leaders never arrive. And, and one of the frustrations that I have in kind of the industrial age, you know, 20th century management supervisor leadership kind of concepts, which, by the way, I think are dead, put a fork in them, mm-hmm. is that um, is that experience buys you something. Mm. So I've been here for 30 years. I've been here for 40 years. So mm. what can you teach me? I've been around the block. So mm-hmm. if, if over the last six months you're in a, in a leadership position and you somehow believe your 30 or 40 years experience has taught you how to deal with this unprecedented inflection point time in history, you're just not paying attention. So I think the absolute reality is experience doesn't buy you anything except experience (laughs) and maybe a bit of wisdom, which the wisdom then needs to be leveraged uh, to realize you never arrive. And and how I would answer folks, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Kingsley. It happens all the time. People are afraid to advance others. I would just quote Colin Powell, who said that if, if everybody in the room agrees with me, I don't need everybody in the room. <laughs> that's interesting because uh, I think that somehow some leaders tend to want to have that and they want to have yes men or yes women around them because it strokes, it's, it kind of, you know, strokes their ego and somehow that's, uh, you know, it filled their day because now they have everyone kind of bowing down and following them and that's how their idea of leadership is. But I find that sometimes that become can create toxicity in the workplace because number one, the younger people, the uh, the millennials, for example, you mentioned, they are they they are more I uh, want to advance. They want to have a say in what's happening. They want to be a part of the the discussion and the decision making. And so that leader now can create toxicity because now they feel like if we're not going to be a part of that, then why should we put ourselves out there? So they might be chomping at the bits as well. How then might that uh, younger leader who sees that and somehow feel that they're being stymied in moving forward, what would you say to that person because they feel like they're stuck and then that leads to toxicity in my opinion, how would you help them to walk that process through to at least probably leverage some of their, their own intellect and their ability to, to, um, to lead in helping that leader to say, hey, let's make room for us. What might you, that look like? Well, we, we kind of go about this on in two levels, almost exactly like you just discussed. One is kind of level setting, kind of, I, I don't want to be ageist, but kind of us, us, you know, I started my career 40 years ago. So so those of us who have a 40-year, 30-year career, we, we kind of level set that with a really good understanding of 
that, you know, we're at 2020, we're 20% of our way into a new century. Like we need to take on and learn new skills. So we level set those more experienced leaders to understand a few things. Um, and, and one of them is the, the workforce of the future. So this is global too, by the way, Kingsley. So this just isn't in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. 50% of the breadwinners in India are millennials, 50%. Wow. Okay. Millennials are the highest percentage in, in the American workforce. Okay. Followed by Gen X and then my generation baby boomers. So, so it's, it's not something that's coming. It's here. Mm -hmm. So we, we level set, uh, the current leaders, because the bottom line is that people quit people. Mm-hmm. And what's happened in the 20th century is businesses have this huge turnover. And it is a huge financial and intellectual capital drain. It is an unbelievable loss of, of value to, to businesses because they are losing young talent. And they're losing young talent because those people are quitting their managers. Hmm. So we have to level set that current level of leadership to understand that these folks are quitting you because what happened, what happened, I can tell you my first two books, what happened is managers just blamed millennials. <laughs> they blamed them. They didn't go home and look in the mirror and blame their leadership. They blamed millennials. And by the way, then they blamed HR that you sent me bad people. Uh, well, if I send you 10 people and 10 people quit, we have a common denominator here. <laughs> yes. Right. So the, the expense and the, and the amount of money businesses were losing was just phenomenal. And by the way, they were also were not building institutional value because they weren't building a depth of leadership. So, you know, if you if a business is valued by, you know, bottom line, what's the numbers and all that. But it's also if you go to sell your business, it's also valued by your depth of talent mm-hmm. and a business who has a wide and deep bench of talent is worth far more. And I'm, I'm saying far more. Our research shows that investment in leadership development could pay four to 50 X return on investment to the shareholders. You know, I like the term that you, you have introduced in what you just said, uh, buddy, because you, you use the word investing in your, in your people, because sometimes some organizations see it as an expense. And so they stay away from that because they feel like, you know, it's going to cost us too much to get, you know, this person up and running and, and so on. But I like the shift that you're um, using the word investing in the in, in talents, investing in people. Um, is that a very uh, deliberate, intentional thing that you just did because you think that somebody have seen it as an expense? I mean, and how did it come about for you? Oh, very much so. So, yes. So, so really a, a, a good pickup on your part. Uh, in, in the 20th century, and really even today, businesses look at developing their bench of talent as an expense. And words matter. So, you know, I would even take this on, on time, which I'll, I'll fill in in a second. Um, people look at, at developing that next leader level of leadership as an expense. So, you know, like now, I mean, we're, we're in a difficult economic time. So what do you do? You cut expenses. So what message does that send? It sends the message that developing you as a leader isn't all that important because the moment that we have a challenge, I'm cutting it. Hmm. So your unintended consequence, that unintended message is just exactly opposite of what you need. And trust me, 
we will come out of this. And when we come out of it, this, this, these new generations are going to look to see how did employers continue to invest in employees mm. when the times were rough? Trust me, that's going to happen. So you know, if, you, if you look up the words expense and, and, and investment, investment really means with an expectation of a return. Mm. And so if I'm investing in your leadership, I have an expectation of a return, which is ROI. Mm. If I'm have an expense, if I go buy, you know, uh, pick something, I go buy paper for my, my printer, that's an expense. I have no expectation of a return on that. I'm going to, I'm going to use it up. It's a nothing. And so the, the idea of investment is critical. And by the way, I will argue with any business person about when I show the numbers, I actually don't have to, is that there is really no better investment like if you're a, a, a shareholder of a small to medium sized business, you cannot invest in anything that will get you a greater return on investment. It's simply not possible. So the words really do matter. And I had a client the other day, we were talking about this and I said, let's even take this to the concept of time. Are you spending time with your employees or mm -hmm. are you investing time? Hmm. Those are two completely different concepts. Hmm. I like, you know, I really like that. I, I like that uh, you raise that with that um, client because I think sometimes people see it as, you know, time being spent, um, time being wasted. So they don't look at that, for example, in the mentorship idea or in developing other leaders, they will, you know, I don't have time for that. I just really, my, I'm so busy, but I'm hearing you're saying, you need to make time for one of the most important thing that your company and organization needs right now. Because like I said, people are looking at that. And I'm thinking sometimes, and I hear this pretty often, buddy, is that, um, you know, they're looking at their, their leadership, their upper leadership and wondering, how are you relating to, relating to us? And what message are you sending? And if they feel and sense that you're not factoring them in, especially the millennials who are on that upward climb, you're not factoring them in and and um, acknowledging their talent that they're bringing to the table. Like you said, they're going to be having an exit strategy plan very, very quickly, and you're going to lose those people to other your com competitors. So I think it's very, it's really behoves the leaders to do that. Now, one of the things you talk about, buddy, and you mentioned earlier about the skills that leadership needs. And one of the things I believe is so important in today's world of business and leadership is emotional intelligence. And you talk about that in your new book. Um, so how did you come, what, what led you to include that as part of the, you know, the superpowers of leadership? So why did you mention, uh, call it superpowers? And why did you include emotional intelligence as one of those skill sets? Well, I, I think that's a fabulous story. And I think you will appreciate uh, one of the, maybe the tidbits of this story personally, even. Um, so I had the good fortune a number of years ago to be invited to the U.S. Army War College. And while I was there, what 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 they do towards the end of the, the year is they take a handful of civilians and they embed them into these classes. And I happen to be humbled to be uh, invited. And so in my class was a gentleman named Jeff Ray, R-E-Y, and I would ask the group to um, anybody listening to this to look him up. This guy is just he is unbelievable. So Jeff Ray 
I was a colonel at the time, and he was the cybersecurity chief for uh, the White House. Uh, he he developed the Situation Room at Camp David. I mean, just creme de la creme. Wow. And uh, by the way, which is the part I think you should be very proud of, uh, Jeff is also a Jamaican immigrant. Oh, wow. <laughs> he um, wanted to to join the service, uh, and, and he needed food and clothing, by the way. So he, he wanted to join because he wanted to join, but he also needed it quickly. And, and he wanted to be a Marine, but the Marines couldn't take him for a couple of months. But the Army could take him, like, next week. Mm. So he joined the Army. So Jeff Ray has held literally every single rank in the u.s army he was a warrant officer and then he went back around to become a commissioned officer he has literally held every single rank and i was blown away Mm. when he invited my wife and i to his ceremony to now become a one-star general wow and so when i was writing the book i knew there were these skills that we 21st century leaders need to develop we need to focus on and I held it, I had a placeholder, and I called them superpowers, but I really wasn't going to call them that. Um, I don't know. I thought maybe it trivialized it or maybe it was overused or whatever. So mm-hmm. I went to Jeff's uh, ceremony, and the three-star general who was introducing Jeff said, let me tell you what his superpower is. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, are you kidding me? Here's a guy who's worked his way up from from literally every rank in the Army. Um, he is probably the smartest guy in the room. He's probably the most physically fit guy in the room. I mean, he can take you apart physically, mentally, uh, intellectually, emotionally, however you want it. And his superpower is emotional intelligence when he has all of these mm. other things. It blew me away. So when you talk about the intersection of EQ and leadership, here is a guy who literally has everything else, strength, smarts, wit, everything. And yet they consider his superpower to be emotional intelligence. Wow. Wow. And like you just said, buddy, you know, here's that. And sometimes people don't realize this, that um, you can have all of those qualifications you can go through the, you know, all those different tiers per se. But if you lack one important thing, and I believe this very, very much, very much so, I said, you know, um, this this one skill can make the difference because when I first was introduced to emotional intelligence, I remember the lady who was giving this talk, she kept on saying, there's one skill. And in the room were all business leaders and people who have accomplished great things. And she said, there's one skill above every skill you've accomplished or have experienced so far. If you don't have this one skill, your success, your success level will be short. You know, you will not be able to attain as much as you would with this one skill. And she kept on emphasizing and emphasizing that. And I'm leaning in. I'm thinking, I want to know what that one skill is. You know, and he, and she had us going. And at the end, she said this without um, a high uh, self-awareness to uh, emotional intelligence, you will not be able to get to the height you could possibly achieve. And she just went in and started laying now, breaking that down for us. So I, I totally agree because if we don't, we're not able to recognize, understand, and manage our emotions, which is emotional intelligence in a nutshell, and to have better outcome, how can we then function as leaders to lead people 
rather than just leading projects. These are not, you know, it's people we're, we're leading if we're going to be the best leaders. And how do we relate in, in a relationship without having a sensitivity to the emotional intelligence piece? But you are, you have this in your book, though, as one of the eight super, uh, eight superpowers of leadership as coming out, like we mentioned earlier in August 2020. Um, what led you to write this book? And what's your, what is your hope overall for this book uh, for those who read it? Well, what, what led me to write it was I wanted to correct a few mistakes I had made early on. And maybe, maybe I'm a little too hard on myself. Maybe they weren't mistakes. Maybe at that time it was the right thing. But, but early on when I wrote the first book in 08, we were really pioneers in advocating for these next generations. Every, everything else was negative. Literally everything was negative towards uh, millennials. At that time, you know, the oldest millennial was 28. The youngest was eight. Nobody really cared. We're mm. in this recession. You know, the snowflakes. I mean, they're really negative. And so we, we took a different spin and we advocated for them because they should have been advocated for we probably would have sold more books if we'd been <laughs> negative, but we didn't. We, we, were, we were positive. And so the mistake I made early on was trying to kind of sell people on this idea of where we're going with generations versus really hitting them between the eyes and being blunt. And so the first book actually uh, sold out, gratefully. You know, in the beginning, we sold like two copies, like my wife bought one, my co-author, her <laughs> wife bought one. You know, that was about it. But then all of a sudden, we started to sell cases. And we started to sell cases because the, the recession, of the Great Recession of 2007-8, it did not reset this generation. It simply emboldened them. They knew mm. they could now survive a different, difficult challenge. So businesses needed to reset. That book sold out. We had a second printing. We updated it. Uh, and then what I began to realize and my hope for this book is that everybody, all leaders understand we are now at a two way street. We have reached an inflection point and, and I had had that written in the book pre COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, we updated the book so that it is uh, relevant in the current set of circumstances. But in the book and in my research, it shows we were going to hit an inflection point anyway. Mm. 2020 and this upcoming decade was going to hit, hit an inflection point anyway, except it was going to be a little bit like the sun coming up, like mm. the dawning, like it would it would start to get light. And then a few hours later, we would have sunshine and, and it would take a while. So 2022, 2023. People would have recognized this was happening all along. But COVID-19 threw the light switch. There was no dawning of this inflection point. It's clear. It's in the light of day. We're there now. We need to completely embrace that as leaders, we're never going back. Hmm. We need to develop 21st century leadership techniques and we need to develop next generation leaders. I didn't finish my answer a moment ago when you said, or I, I just didn't answer, finish it, is we level set senior leaders on what it takes, and then we develop this next generation of leaders. And there's no going back. We've hit this inflection point. And my hope for this book is that we finally, we were finally able to get courageous leaders, because not everybody has the courage to do this, by the way. Yeah. They're not going to let go of 20th century techniques. I agree. You know? 
back in the day, people still made buggy whips long after <laughs> they were, we weren't selling horse and buggies anymore, right? So people aren't going to let it go. But my goal is that we get these strategic and courageous leaders that, that realize there is no going back. I have to polish my skills. I have to continually get better. Um, and, and they invest in that because we've reached this point and we're never, ever going back to a, a time where we can embrace industrial age supervisory concepts. Wow. You know, I think that I love the fact, buddy, that you emphasize so strongly those words that this is our new day, our new dawn, and new, and we're not going back to yesterday. And I think the quicker, as you're listening today to what Buddy is sharing, the quicker you can get back to this and get to this, um, to embrace, I'm sorry, to embrace this idea and recognize this is what we are going to live in and live with, the quicker you can actually begin to do what you need to do to take your leadership. And look at it, and Buddy mentioned earlier, in the mirror, and say, what do I need to do? I need to update myself, update my leadership skills, and that's what Buddy does. And if you are, you've heard some things today he has shared, and if you're interested in really actually connecting with what Buddy has to offer, and this is just a taste of what he mentioned, you can go to his website at solutions21.com, and it's solutions with the number 21.com. And you can find out a whole lot more about that. And I want to encourage you because this book, if you're listening to um, this, and this, this interview prior to August 2020, you might want to connect with him through their website to make sure you are the very first to know about when this book goes live. If you're listening to this after August 2020, then you should be able to access and get this book. And it's something that I believe, as Buddy mentioned, the eight superpowers and um, you want to make sure you actually connect and get this 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 um, copy. So, buddy, will you do you mind mentioning the other seven um, that you have in the book? You don't have to go in any details. So, if someone wants to actually say, "Hey, you know, I want to go get this book. Here are the things I want to look at." Would that be something that you think would be helpful to them? Or if not, you can also mention what you think is most helpful for them to have a reason to go and make sure that they have a copy, but also get advance notice. Well, I, 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 yes, I will. Uh, so let me let me build on a little bit of what you just said. Um, you know what what I would ask your listening audience, and and literally anybody who is who is a leader out there to answer a simple question. And the question is this: Is there anything you have experienced in life, literally anything, that you would like to get better at or be the best at hmm. that does not require uh, training, developing, ongoing learning, investment of time, literally anything. I don't care if you want to be the best tiddlywinks player. You have to practice. <laughs> Unfortunately, what's happened and what we have inherited from an industrial age model is the only thing out of that list is leadership. Mm. Businesses don't practice leadership. They don't develop leadership. If you're if if you're in the military, by the way, and you become a colonel, you spend four or five solid years of your 25 year career, complete years, learning leadership. Think about that. 20 percent mm. of your overall growth and development has been to to continually develop your leadership. You never arrive. In fact, I've dedicated this book 
to military leaders because they're the only group of of um, um, executives that I've ever worked with that get it as a, as a complete cohort, that, that leadership is a journey, not a destination. You never arrive. But I can tell you in the 20th century, you know, you, you were here for 30 years, you got a title, you're done learning. <laughs> right. And, and that, so, so when you talk about that, there's nothing, there is zero zippo, nothing. I've had audiences joke with me and say, well, Hey, napping, you know, I don't have to practice. I want to be the best <laughs> nap, like joking around. There's literally nothing to be the best at. And then as leaders, we don't continue to sharpen the, the, the saw. So, so that's our, that, that's what we're trying to help people do is to continually develop these skills. EQ is one of them. Um, um, learning to explain the why of an assignment is another. So previous generations asked the question why to be disrespectful, to question authority. Why do I need to do this? Why is that important? Why? When in reality, uh, the, the, the latest generations ask the question why for context. They're not questioning authority. They're asking it for context. So we're, that's another one of the superpowers. And, and, and in addition, Kingsley, I don't want to just hit the superpowers, because right. we also have three other key things in there. One is kind of organizational tactics. So if you think about a funnel of, of, of making your organization better, we have kind of a top list of these are some organizational. First, we start with some leadership mind shift, like what do senior leaders need to understand? And, and one of the keys there is they need to understand that there's a sweet spot in time right now where they can attract and retain the best talent on earth, talent that used to be kind of set aside for Fortune 50. Like that's not the case anymore. You can go after the best talent in the world. Hmm. And then we have these organizational tactics. So how do you align how do you align your organization? How do you get the organization lined with um, this next decade? An example there is burn your career ladder. So we, we work with organizations to understand that for the most part, people join companies and, and they're presented with this career ladder where if you're ambitious, you climb the ladder. We've all heard that, you know, one step at a time. And, and if you're anywhere near my age, a horizontal move from that ladder was career suicide. No one took a horizontal move. But what, I, what we're encouraging businesses is kind of following down this funnel. The top of the funnel is leaders need to shift their minds. The second part of this is organizations need to create tactics that align with this retention. So burn the career ladder. Generations today, workers today are looking for a career chessboard. They can move one step, two steps, diagonally, stay still, move back a, a step. So one of the the absolute myths, although uh, let me let me correct myself, it is absolutely true that the latest generations will have more jobs in a lifetime. That's absolutely true. The myth is they do not have to be companies, different companies. They will be different jobs. So we challenge organizations to tactically develop also their career chessboard. So we start at the top with the leaders, develop the structure of your organization, and then finally, the eight superpowers of leadership. And what do your individual contributor leaders need to know to lead moving forward? So that's why we're calling it a playbook. We kind of have a step-by-step a -step for organizations 
at the top and moving all the way down to how do you attract and retain the best talent? You know, buddy, I, as I sat here, I'm thinking that you just took us through like a class, so, you know, you know, very, very quick way. I mean, imagine someone sitting down here and this being unpacked in a, in a much uh, longer setting, because I think this is a very, very important thing. I love the fact that, you know, what you say, you're challenging some of the standing belief system on leadership in this book that may, uh, you know, stir some things up. But I think that's what leaders do. You challenge the prevailing norm. Is it actually working? You ask those questions. And I think it's really um, an insightful, as I listen to you, it's something to be a very insightful book. So um, would it be still true that then they, they go to your website at solutions21.com, they will be able to get uh, a connection with you, but also that if when the book comes out, They'll be notified on that so that they can get it if they're trying if they're listening to this before August 2020. Absolutely, absolutely. Solutions21.com, uh, and then when the book launches, it will certainly have its own website, right. theleadershipdecade.com. Uh, so after August, you could go to theleadershipdecade.com as well. Awesome. Buddy, um, this is really very, uh, you know, I, I can sit here all day because this is the thing that really I'm passionate about this, and I love the way that you frame certain things as you share, because I think it allows us as leaders and people who are leading organizations to start thinking about their leadership. But I love what you're saying that, and I'm so, so glad you mentioned this, that the, the pool is available to everyone pretty much now to get the best of talent that they've ever would ever want to have. And now is a time to act to do that and fill the pool, so to speak, and um, pull in those those talents out there. And so I hope people, are, who, as you're listening today, I hope you'll act on this challenge and begin to build your leadership team. And as Buddy said earlier, make sure your bench is deep um, when it comes to talent, because not just for today, but also for tomorrow. Buddy, I want to say thank you so very much for t- taking the time out of your busy schedule today to share with us and give us, a, a, in a digest manner, really, this this um, master class, really, as you kind of shared with us. And I think it was really important for us to hear this, especially at this time. And is there any one last parting word you may want to leave with us that maybe I never touched on that you think is so important for us to share, to, to hear um, before we say our goodbye? Maybe just one thing, and that is how you talk about the intersection between leadership and emotional intelligence. So I would just leave the audience with this thought and this visual. I had mentioned Jeff Ray before. Um, Jeff, like I said, is um, probably the, the normally the smartest man in the room, the most physically fit, strongest, uh, physically ca- anything, however you want to define that. And what I want to leave the audience with is emotional intelligence is not a quote unquote soft skill. This is not something that is to be kind of diminished or set aside and because you don't have these other strength of character or something like that. Uh, the, the guy who comes to mind, Jeff, has every single <laughs> thing you might want, and yet he leads and leverages what some folks unfortunately consider a soft skill versus considering it an essential skill. Mm. So I wanted to give you those kudos too, Kingsley, in that emotional intelligence moving forward is essential. 
I like that framing and thank you for taking the time to leave that, um, leave that distinction for us because I think it's really was like the, the punctuation mark on a incredible interview that we had today. So thank you so much for even doing that. So buddy, thank you again. Again, if you want to connect with him, solutions 21 with the number two one at the end of solutions, solutions 21.com is where you can find out more about, um, buddy, the work that they do on leadership and you can also connect with them to say, Hey, I would love to learn more or have them help you in your own organization to kind of implement these kind of strategies and tactics. And as he mentioned, also the upcoming book where you would learn a whole lot more. So thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. And really, it was a pleasure having you here with us today. Thank you so much. And there you have it, my friend. Today, you've heard from Buddy, and I hope you heard his heart, his passion, but also some very well-laid-out argument for why leadership development ought to be seen as an investment, not as an expense. And I hope this is going to create a whole renewed approach to leadership development, and I hope that you will begin to implement this idea as far as looking at how your leaders are being developed and what it is you're doing at on it. Now, remember, as he said, you should be able to see the ROI, right? The return on your investment because of what happens when you develop your leaders. Remember, as he said, there's no other thing greater than having a deep bench when it comes to your leadership. And they are the reflection of the company success. So I hope that you took a lot from that. Make sure you get his book and connect with him. And the links will be in the notes that follows this show. So please make sure you avail yourself of that. Well, my friend, thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I do appreciate it. It cannot, the show cannot happen without you. So thank you. And with that said, my friend, let's put the show back into the vault. Here we go. There it is. Now that this show is safely put away in the vault, I can safely exit the command center of the Immortelligent Leadership Institute and say my goodbye. With that said, my friend, peace out. God bless. And I'll see you on the flip side. Yeah.